Amen. Good morning, church. Grateful you got to make it out on this cold Sunday. In case you haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Tellus Fuller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm so happy that you're here in the room or watching online. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. And as you turn in your Bibles there or turn on your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, give you a little reminder. We started a series last week called I Fear God, speaking about the fear of the Lord. And I'm not sure what the fear of the Lord has been like for you or how you've grown up in the fear of the Lord, but in this house, we fear God. In this house, we believe that the fear of the Lord is actually a good thing, that it's not something that pushes us away from God, but actually it's something that draws us towards him. That when we see God rightly, and we see ourselves, and then we see the difference, our natural and good response is to say, whoa, you're holy, and you're bigger than me, and you're better than me, and you're different than me, and you're more righteous than me, and more loving than me. And when we meet him, it actually transforms us to be like him. And the fear of the Lord actually makes us all that we were supposed to be. Today, we're going to take a look at a different aspect of the fear of the Lord in Luke chapter 12. And if you would, would you stand with me in the reading of the word? We stand for the reading of the word to honor the word of God and its authority over our lives. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 7 says this. Jesus speaking, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. What I want to title this message this morning is, I fear God, not man. Will you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, show us good news. <laughs> Holy Spirit, we love your ministry. Father, we love your ministry. Jesus, we love your ministry. And so right now, give us a holy fear of God that we would see him rightly, meet him, and be in awe of him. Lord, if you're not glorified in any other heart, be glorified in this heart. And if you're not glorified in any other place, Lord, be glorified in this place. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can take your seats. Thank you for your faith. 
If you don't know the character of God, you can easily mistake God's warnings for God's threats. If you don't know the character of God, you can easily mistake God's warnings for threats. This is a difficult passage. Because we see Jesus as somebody who's so loving and so kind and would never hurt my feelings. And then we read the words from Jesus that say, don't be afraid of somebody who can kill your body and then can't do anything else to you. Be afraid of me who can, after he is killed, has authority to throw your body into hell. You're saying, how are we supposed to reconcile this loving God with this very, very severe scripture. You see, I believe fearing God rightly creates a place for God to stay. That when we see him as he is, we see ourselves as we are, we are not going to be tempted to do anything other than revere him. And the Spirit of God will not stay, I'm convinced, in any other place other than the place that he is held in the highest esteem. So we here are going to fear the Lord because where the presence of God is, the fear of the Lord needs to be. You might be saying, well, isn't this a bit contradictory? Because it seems like this is almost like bad news that like Jesus is saying. Like, I don't really know how to receive this. And I'm telling you, it's not contradictory to Jesus' love at all. You look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loves us. So is God telling me to be afraid and don't be afraid at the same time? Because he's telling me fear has to do with punishment. And if you're afraid, you haven't clearly been perfected in my love. And yet Jesus says, don't fear them, fear me. What are we supposed to do with this reality? Listen, if you don't know the character of God, you will see his warnings as threats. The character of God is that he is love. He does not just do love. He is not just lovely. He is love. So everything that comes from him is love. Everything that he is is love. Every motivation that he has is love. So if there is a place where you look in scripture and you think that God is being unloving, I encourage you, do not think there's something wrong with God. Think there's something wrong with you. Because I must be misunderstanding something. Because he's clearly not unloving. So what am I missing? You see, Jesus has been given all authority. That's what he says in the scriptures and what he repeats throughout the scriptures. That he has been given all authority. And God wants to use that authority. Jesus aims to use that authority to save sinners. He does not want to use all of his authority so that he can treat you however he wants to treat you. He wants to use his authority actually to bless you. Did you know that it's God's will that everybody would be saved? It's actually what he desires most, that all people, men, women, boys, and girls would come to the knowledge of Jesus, be saved by him. It's God's will that everybody would be saved. 
And God will not go against your will. Although it is his will that you would come to the knowledge of salvation, God will not violate your will. As if to say, if you want to spend your entire earthly life away from him, he will not force you to spend eternity with him. It is less that Jesus sends you to hell and more that your life asks to be sent. Why? Because even though it is his will that all men would be saved, he will not violate your will. And some of our lives say, I don't want to spend my life with Jesus. I don't want to give my earthly time to Jesus. I don't want to adore him and make him the Lord over my life, repent of my sins and follow him. And so Jesus says, okay, well then you don't have to be with me. If you don't understand the character of God, you can misunderstand his warnings as threats. You see, this is not a threat in that Jesus is trying to say, oh, I'm threatening you, act right, or else you're going to go to hell. Jesus is really just giving us a picture of reality. He's just telling the truth. He's saying, if you fear them and you don't fear me, what happens is that you won't be with me. It's the reality that Isaiah had when he saw the Lord in his throne room. And when he saw God and saw himself, his first thought wasn't, oh my gosh, he's so amazing. His first thought was, oh my gosh, what a wretched man that I am. Why? Because the reality of the situation is God is incredible and righteous and holy and good and loving, and sadly, we are not. And so when you see the difference, that isn't God forcing something on you. That's just him opening up reality just a little bit for you to see yourself truly. And when we see ourselves truly, it's, whoa, you and I are not the same. The fear of the Lord and rightly seeing man invites you into a proper perspective. So it, last week we spoke a lot about seeing God rightly. This week we're going to talk about seeing man rightly. Because when you see God rightly and you see man rightly, you will have a right perspective which fears God. You remember Paul in Philippians when he writes to live is Christ and to die is gain? Paul has this incredible perspective in his, as he's writing the letter of the, to the church at Philippi where he's writing from a jail. And I can only imagine that Paul must have been the worst prisoner ever. Why? Because he writes things like to live is Christ and to die is gain. He, he writes things essentially that says like, if I'm imprisoned and then you beat me, well, at least I get to join in in the sufferings of my Savior. He writes things like, well, if you kill me, at least I get to go to my Savior. He writes things like, if you set me free, at least I get to preach about my Savior. Like, Paul was the worst prisoner ever because he saw God rightly and saw man rightly. And this is the sentence. This is it. Jesus is saying, the worst that man can do is just send you to me. You know that, right? Like, don't fear them who can kill your body. The worst that they can do is just send you to me. That's what Paul knew. So he's like, why would I be afraid of 
death, to live as Christ and to die is gain. He says, the worst thing that they can do is send you to me. Don't fear them, fear me because I can send you away from me. It's the fear of God. The righteous, holy, good fear of God. You see, God's warnings are never meant to punish you. They are always meant to protect you. When I was growing up, we had uh, some, uh, a place behind our house that was like a lot of woods and really undeveloped. And there was this pond behind our house that in the winter times would semi-freeze over. And our parents always taught us, you can play all around the house, but do not go near the pond. Why? Because if you go near the pond, a kid is probably going to want to go play, especially on a frozen pond. And how many of us know how dangerous that is? So they said, you can't go near the pond. You'll be disciplined if you do. Don't go near the pond. Well, one of my sisters really wanted to go near the pond. And there was this point in the winter where uh, it was, nothing happened. It was almost just like the parental spidey sense went off. We were just like watching TV and my dad goes, where is she? You know what I mean? And he's like, she's at the pond. So he gets up and he runs outside straight to the pond. And what do you know? He finds my sister going towards the pond and wanting to play on this frozen, semi-frozen pond. He obviously grabs her, brings her back. She's screaming. She's crying. She's upset because she wants to go play on the pond. And what she thought is, dad, your rules and your warnings are keeping me from fun. When in reality, they were protecting her. And in the same way, God's warnings are not meant to punish you. They are meant to protect you. Son and daughter, he is simply saying, I know you want it, but it is not best for you to fear anybody else other than me. If you don't know the character of God, you'll see his warnings as threats. I figured out that the... um, way that our Navy, and I think navies around the world, measure ships is not by how much the ship weighs physically. It's about how much that ship displaces water. So when they make a ship, they don't just say, oh, the ship weighs that many tons is how much they weigh it on a scale. They put the ship into water and say, how much water does this ship displace? And that's how you really measure the weight of a ship. And I think our fears are actually the same way. That to fear God is simply this, that the fear of God actually displaces all other fears. And the temptation that we will fall into is the title of this message, that I fear God, but some of us fall into the temptation of still fearing man. And the fear of man, let me tell you, when you get dropped into the water, it does not displace any other fear. It actually increases them. What do you fear most? Do you fear God whose actual weight displaces every other fear and rightly orders your life? Or do you fear man where when it gets dropped into your life, it doesn't displace any other fear. It actually only intensifies them. Jesus tells this scripture and speaks this truth right after He had been uh, preaching for thousands and people have been coming to him and he had been gaining more popularity. (laughs) Then what Jesus says, um, he says these like seven statements to Pharisees and lawyers and they're not good statements. 
They're actually the seven woes. Like, they're, they're not good. Jesus says things to the uh, Pharisees like, you guys are dirty cups where the outside of you is very clean, but the inside of you, it's disgusting. He says things like, you tithe your mint and your dill. These really, really minuscule things, but you ignore the weightier measures of the law. He says things like, you guys load people up with burdens, and then you don't even lift a finger to help them carry any of them. He says things like, you killed the prophets that were sent to you, but Ben built tombs for them as if you actually cared. He says things like, you took away knowledge from the people and then you didn't even let them enter into the kingdom of God. In a way, Jesus is saying, you hypocrites. And because of that, they started breathing threats against him. They start saying, well, this Jesus guy, we don't like this Jesus guy. He's upsetting the entire structure. They start breathing threats. They start accusing him. And ultimately, they start plotting against him to kill him. And so Jesus then responds and speaks to his disciples. He says, friends, isn't it interesting that as soon as Jesus sees hypocrisy looming around, he looks to his friends and says, don't fear man. I believe that the fear of man actually has a lot to do with hypocrisy. We'll talk about that later in the message. See, the Pharisees were more interested in how godly they appeared rather than how godly they actually were. The biggest threat to the fear of God in your life is the fear of man. Jesus simply says, reserve your fear for me. And when Jesus says, don't fear them, fear me, this actually wasn't supposed to scare the disciples. It was supposed to strengthen the disciples because the Pharisees were trying to scare them in order that they would stop doing what they were doing. Jesus was trying to strengthen them to cont- so that they would continue doing what they were doing. You see, this is essentially what it is. When we have the fear of God rather than the fear of man, we understand that it's actually about one thing, the fear of God and the fear of man. It is simply about this. Fear of man is about mainly approval. Who do you look for for your approval? Whose approval can move you? And whose disapproval can move you? Whose opinion do you care most about? Whose thoughts about you shift what you do, how you do it, and why you do it? Because whose ever approval can move you, that is who you fear. He's saying, do not be moved by what the Pharisees think about you, by what the lawyers think about you. Do not be moved by all of this. You need to be moved by me? Do you fear God or man? See, our biggest mistake is not listening to the approval of others. That's fine and that's normal. We're allowed to hear what people think about us and take in their opinions. The issue is not listening to other people's approval. The issue is living by other people's approval. And when you live by other people's approval, you do what I call you place saving weight in sinful places. You start assuming and trusting what man thinks of you and hoping that it will ultimately make you something that you are not. 
If they approve of me, then I will be more confident. If they accept me, then I will actually belong. If they, if, if they want me, then I'll actually be desirable. And we start placing saving weight in sinful places, thinking that that person has the ability to make me something that I am not. And before you know it, you will begin to live for the approval of others. Question. Can man's approval change who you are? Please say no. Another question. Can God's approval change who you are? Please say yes. You passed. (laughs) Nobody's judgment can change you except for God's. Did you know that? That Their opinion, approval, and judgment of you. Man's cannot change you, ultimately. Now, you can give it power, absolutely, but it does not in itself have the power to change you. Why? Because they are not holy. Why? Because they are not God. Why can God's approval, opinion, and judgment have the ability to change you? It's because he is holy. God is incapable of being influenced by anything other than himself. And what he says goes. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. What God says about you goes. And in that same way, we are so much more influenced and influenceable than we would like or dare to admit. So, it is a very bad idea to place saving weight in sinful places because, guess what? Men and women are just as fickle as you are. And your emotions are here one day and there the next, just like the waves. You are built from the same dust that they are, and your emotions often drive you the same way that they drive them. But guess what? God is not like us. He is holy. He is uninfluenceable by anything he does not want to be influenced by, which means how God thinks about you is totally dependent on God, not on you. Your actions and how you are interacting with other people are all dependent on how you behave for them. But God is holy, which means it does not actually matter how you behave for him. It is about his decision over you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are approved. Your behavior to people, it's like the wind. It's like the waves. They think one way about you this minute and one way about you the next. And this is not to say that if you are in Christ, you can do whatever you want because Jesus will never think anything other than you. No, you can displease him. That's possible. And he is settled on his opinion about you. And that you, if you are in Christ, you are seen as Christ is seen. You know, the scriptures teach, 2 Corinthians, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that you might become identity. You might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, God's decision and approval over you actually does have the power to change you. 
I would encourage you, stop placing saving weight in sinful places because their opinion does not have the ability to change you. But God's judgment does. I hope you really believe that because this room is filled with people who have given their lives to Jesus who were once angry and now they're compassionate. Who were once liars and now they're honest men and women. Who were once far from God and now they've been brought close to God. Who were once bound people and are now free people. Who were once lost and are now found. Who were once dead and now alive. Be sure God's judgment has the ability to change you. He says, fear me and don't fear man because they cannot change you while I can. See, the fear of man ultimately is so dangerous because it drives out the fear of God. And the fear of God is so amazing because it drives out the fear of man. The fear of man drives out the fear of God, but the fear of God drives out the fear of man. Some of us actually, I believe, are way too aware of other people's opinions of us. And because we're so aware of other people's opinions of us, we start acting differently with different people. We start doing things for people. And unintentionally, what we end up doing is we build lives that are very welcoming for people, but very unwelcoming for God. And therefore, people love to be with you. But God, when you start to fear man rather than you fear God, you make a home for man. But you do not make a home for God. If you want the spirit of God to rest on you, we fear him with a holy biblical fear that drives out the fear of man. Some of us have gotten actually so good at fearing man that we've rebranded it and called it people skills. <laughs> I'm just really good with people. <laughs> no, you're not. You're afraid of people. And so you change who you are around different people so that they'll like you. So, like... This is what the fear of man does, is that we start acting different ways with different people. We start behaving different ways. And we fight, we've, we've like mastered discerning what makes man happy and then doing that. When the church, if you're the church, listen to me, you're supposed to master what makes God happy and then do that. We are to please God rather than please Man, and we cannot, as the church, be more discerning about what welcomes people rather than what welcomes God. At best, we will change our actions. At worst, we will change our affections. And your affection will lead where you go. It's not just like a bad idea to live for the approval of man. It's like, it's dumb. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't work. Like, how often have you tried to live for the approval of man, and then they still don't approve of you? Or do they approve of you, and then it still doesn't work? And then you still want more. And then you're still hungry for more approval. It just never satisfies us. I, I can even tell you why you ultimately want approval. It's because you were designed to be approved. 
maybe a better way of saying it is that you were designed approved. You remember in the garden, God created everything. And then he creates man as the crowning achievement of creation. Up until this point, he had called everything good. And then do you know one of the first things that God says about us? You are very good. Approved. Did you know one of the first things that the enemy said about you? You are not so good. And because we have now confused what God says and what the enemy has lied to us to say, it has twisted our understanding of value. And now value was actually something where we were designed to receive, and now value is something we think we need to achieve. Now we think we ought to work for value instead of having it placed upon us. See, approval has been placed upon you. That's how we were created to be. We were designed approved. And if you know, or if you are in Christ, do you know that you are absolutely 100% approved? You are seen as the righteousness of God. You are seen as the Father sees Jesus. He sees you. That is what the approval of God means. Now, again, it is not meaning that you do whatever you want and God is going to be smiling over your life. That means that he chooses to see you, if you're in Christ, as he sees the Son. Do you believe that? It's, sorry, it's a true question. I don't think you do. <laughs> because, and I don't think I do. Because if I really believed that I was approved, I would be far less anxious than I am. If I really believed that I was already approved, I would be far less moved by other people's opinions of me. If I really, really believed that I was already approved by God, I would trust him way more. The fear of man actually leads you away from the fear of God. You remember in the Old Testament, you find the fear of man when it comes to Abraham. Abraham is in this moment where he's traveling, and the fear of man, what it does is fear of man makes Abraham call his wife Sarah his sister. And it causes so many troubles in their relationship. The fear of man actually in Joshua caused the spies that went into the promised land to convince all of Israel, hey, we don't need to go in there. The fear of man actually caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. The fear of man caused Peter to deny Jesus. The fear of man leads you away from the will of God. If they had feared God, they would have been far less anxious. They would have trusted the opinions of others far less, and they would have trusted God far more. If, do I really believe that I am seen, approved, as Jesus is. See, Jesus freed us from the need to work for our approval. Walk in the freedom that Jesus has given you and let go of the fear of man. Why? Because the fear of God actually completes you. When I wrote that, I, f I thought, I like laughed to myself because that term, like, it completes me. It just sounds so trite sometimes, right? Like, oh, like, my significant other, they complete me. But I really think it's true that the fear of the Lord actually does complete you. Why? Because 
When you fear man, you are not all that you are supposed to be. Why? Because the fear of man actually, I believe, is just misplaced approval. And misplaced approval fractures the Christian. It fractures you because you are trying to please two different people. The reason you're trying to please two different people is because you misunderstand. Your heart is capable of incredible love, but your heart is not capable of contradicting love. And when you attempt to fear man and to fear God, you end up contradicting yourself. Therefore, you end up fractured. Therefore, you live without integrity. Integrity is lost from your life because I have a misplaced approval. Did you know that the word integrity comes from the word integer? Integer, just the, the math term, if you remember, it just means whole, like a whole number. It's something that isn't a fraction. And this word integrity is coming from this idea, from this word that just simply means whole. Which leads me to understand that a lack of integrity does not mean that we need more self-control. A lack of integrity does not mean that you need more boundaries. A lack of integrity does not mean that you even need better friends. A lack of integrity means, at least here, that we aren't whole. I am not whole, therefore I do not have integrity. When I misplace my approval, I fracture my desires in my heart so that I try and love contradicting things. Therefore, I express the fruit already in my heart that I am not seeking the approval of God. I'm seeking the approval of man. And when you do that, you are unable to live a whole life. What happens when we fear God? is that he completes us. It displaces every other fear so that there is one primary fear that we seek, the approval of God. And when we have rightly ordered um, uh, uh, fears in that we look for one man, Jesus, to approve us, we actually live in integrity, i.e. we are whole. If you're looking for more integrity, I don't think you're going to find it in boundaries, friendships, accountability, or self-control. You're going to find it by finding your approval in one person alone, and that person is Jesus. When we aren't whole, we live, a fracture, live in a fractured fear that disallows us to have integrity. But the fear of the Lord gives us a rightly ordered approval so that we can live whole. The issue, if we don't live whole, goes back to what the Pharisees' issue was, which was the issue of hypocrisy. They were saying one thing and they were doing something else. You see, the presence of the Lord, the presence of the fear of the Lord breeds integrity in your life. The presence of the fear of man breeds hypocrisy. 
Jesus talks about this to the disciples right after he calls out the Pharisees for being hypocrites, for saying one thing and then doing another thing. The reason why I believe Jesus says this and where it comes from is in John chapter 12. That chapter is filled with the glory of God and Jesus speaking on the glory of God. And the way that Jesus describes the glory of God, which I think relates with the reason why we are hypocrites, is because Jesus says they loved the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. And because you preferred man's glory rather than God's glory, you lived a hypocritical life. The Pharisees did, at least. He's saying, you say that you fear me, but you're concerned with the opinions of men. I believe that God's heart breaks when we trust man's opinion and approval of us more than his. When we search for man's applause more than we search for God's smile. And God's heart breaks because he says, they didn't make you, they can't change you, they didn't save you, and yet you desire them more than me? When we don't have the fear of the Lord, we're tempted to live in hypocrisy. And Jesus isn't just asking for our fear of him so that he can be like this control freak. It's not that he just says, no, I want to be in control of everything that's happening. Jesus is not insecure. The reason why he is asking that you would fear him rather than man is because man's fear is a trap. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 simply says this, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I might have told this story before, but I got a chance to go fishing a little bit ago. And as we were fishing, the captain kept showing us all these different lures that he used to catch all these different types of fish. And so he would grab the hook and he would put a lure on the hook and he'd drop it in the water and we'd catch a certain type of fish. He would grab a different lure, grab the same hook, put it on the hook and we'd catch a different type of fish. And we went through about three to five different lures and all these lures were different shapes and different sizes and did different things, but they all caught fish. And as I was looking at these lures, I was contemplating and considering that lures are actually just designed to look like the real thing, promise the real thing, and even sometimes imitate the real thing, but never deliver on the real thing. And in the same way the enemy works in your life, he's using the lure of man's approval and the fear of man to mimic the real thing, look like the real thing, promise the real thing, even sometimes act like the real thing, but it cannot deliver on the real thing. It promises life and it delivers on death. It's this idea that that thing will make me safer. When the scriptures obviously teach us that the fear of man lays a snare towards me. But the fear of God, trusting in God, is actually safe. I would encourage you, do not look for man to give you your utmost sense of safety because it doesn't live there. It doesn't exist there. They cannot give it to you. And when you start to behave for them, the best thing that you will feel is affirmed, but you will not feel whole. Your affirmation might maybe soothe you for a minute, but it will not heal you. It will not make you a person of integrity who lives unto the fear of the Lord. They're lures. 
They're traps, they're snares, and they're not safe. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For now, am I seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? For if I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. This is so interesting because Paul is saying in this text, if I were trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Paul is actually connecting the idea of who you serve to your identity. That you cannot serve man, aim to please man, and be a servant of God. Paul might have been tempted, this is in Galatians, where people were preaching different gospels, different realities about Jesus. And Paul might have been tempted to think, well, maybe if I could preach an easier, um, less uh, uh, offensive, and, and, and more palatable gospel, then maybe people would listen to me. That might have been Paul's temptation. Because our temptation, like we're not threatened with death here, like Jesus was talking with the disciples. And we praise, I'm thankful for that. And Jesus isn't talking about death here, about your temptation to us today. He was then. And Paul's temptation would be to preach a lukewarm, easy-to-digest gospel. Your temptation might be to adjust your morals, change your habits, and aim to change your lifestyle so that you belong in spaces. I want to tell you what my temptation would be. Right now, my temptation, if I'm being honest, would be to encourage you, to make you feel good, and maybe worst to impress you with me. That would be my temptation. I, I would get up here in an effort to please you, to encourage you, and to impress you. And those things in serving you might not be bad in and of themselves, but can you imagine if the goal of this church and this stage and everybody who preached and ministers and sings from this stage, imagine if their goal was to encourage you, please you, and impress you every week. Can you imagine what type of church we'd be? See, the fear of the Lord drives out the fear of man. But the fear of man drives out the fear of the Lord. This is why we tell our worship team that we ought to worship up first. Why? Because when I worship God first, I'm ensuring that I am fearing him first before I'm fearing you. And there is a temptation that some of us have when it comes to people to please you, impress you, and encourage you. And I'm letting you know that that is not our goal here. If I try to serve you first, you might feel good, but God will not be ministered to. There is a world that exists that I can try and serve you and I do not serve God. But the world does not exist, my friends, where I serve God and I do not serve you. It's the reality that we love the ministry of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit more than we love our own ministry. Because I believe that when I properly, when we properly, when our worship team properly ministers unto him first, he will minister unto you. He is a better minister than we are. 
And the reason why we go up first is because we fear him more than we fear you. I don't have to go home and, 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 and give a testimony about you today. I have to go home and look at God. And God is my judge. God is the one who defines me. God is the one who approves of me. God is the one who establishes me. And when I live out of the fear of man, I at worst start living for your encouragement, approval, and your, whoa, he's pretty good. No, friends. As Christians, we need to live up first. You know how you can tell as I close who you fear? Yes, it's through approval. And maybe it can hit home, especially in this way. Whom are you unwilling to disappoint? When you look around your life, who are you unwilling to disappoint? Because I would say that that person is who you fear. Some of us have gotten so used to living out of the fear of man that we use disappointment as a motivation. I'm a great daughter because I don't want to disappoint my parents. I'm a great hard worker at my job because I don't want to disappoint my boss. I serve in church because I don't want to disappoint my pastors. And I'm a good person because I don't want to disappoint myself. And listen, Disappointment is definitely a productive motivation, but it is not a good one. You'll get things done by aiming to not disappoint people, but you will not be whole, friends. Did you know that Jesus even disappointed people? Jesus actually did not live a life where everybody was so happy with him. Actually, most people were disappointed with Jesus. You look at the Pharisees. They're like, man, you're, you're twisting everything upside down. What are you doing? You look at the Gentiles, the people who weren't saved. They're like, you're telling me to repent? You're telling me that I need to change my entire life and make you the Lord of my life? You're now the captain of my ship? Okay. You look at the disciples and they're saying, man, aren't you supposed to like live forever and us be like ruling the world together. You look at the Jews and they're like, aren't you supposed to free us from Rome? And Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus looks around and he does it in his own way. Why? Because Jesus was willing to disappoint everybody except for his father. Jesus had the fear of God because he was willing to disappoint everybody except for his father. And why was he willing to do that? It's because he had already been approved by his father. Do you remember his baptism? Jesus comes out of the water, a voice descends, speaks from heaven and the dove descends on him in his the Father speaking over him, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is before Jesus did a single bit of ministry. Before Jesus was useful, Jesus was valuable. Before Jesus accomplished anything, he was approved by his Father. And because he was approved by his Father, he was willing to disappoint everybody else. 
and says, I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing. I'm only going to say what I hear the Father saying. And if you don't approve of me, I'm willing to live with that. Listen, if you are approved by God, this does not free you from disappointing others. It frees you from the crushing weight of their opinions of you. You will still disappoint others, but you will not be moved by their disappointment. You will be moved by the Father's approval. Let us be a church that has been so approved by our Father that the disappointment of man will not move us. There is one thing that moves us, and there is one thing we fear. It is our Father. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, I'm asking that you would free us, liberate me, liberate us, Lord Jesus, from the need to be approved by man. Holy Spirit, do the work and displace all other fears. As we fear you first and foremost, would you, Lord Jesus, deal with every other fear in our life? And Lord, would you deal with the fear of man in this room? Show us, Lord, what it means to live whole in the fear of the Lord.